wait, we we did this movie before, right? This is the one where the lady and there's she goes to the islands off of Seattle and the lighthouse and there's the got. We, we watched Shadow Play, which means it's time for another Portland at the movies. In a world, in a time, in a land of eternal beauty, all that stands between a city and a disaster, in a city where anything can happen, if you thought you had seen it all. And do you know what they have on the northwest coast that we don't have? Treats. And I'm serious, Morgan. They're proud of it. Hello and welcome to another episode of Portland at the Movies. My name is Todd Worko and I am joined as always by Mark Middleton. How are you, Mark? I am doing really well today. Good and bright. The freshly shorn Brian the Unipiper Kid. How are you, Brian? My headphones don't fit. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you got your epic COVID hair uh, cut first into a mullet for a while, which is pretty amazing. Uh, And now uh, finally back down to to non non covid form so if your partner ever asks can i give you a mullet the answer is always yes <laughs> i'd like to see mark's attempt at a mullet cuz i'm not sure what the <laughs> this is business a mullet. up i guess you have business up front <laughs> yeah I, it is just a really short mullet i guess you're right <laughs> yeah. uh well we watched the, a movie called shadow play and um it, is, it stars d wallace stone who was the mom in et correct she was in all she was the mom in a ton of 80s movies from what i remember right? yeah did you look at her imdb i didn't look at hers because i figured <sighs> one of you would or remember more so why don't you refresh us of Uh, Holy mess. She just has not stopped working. Oh, Um, nice. I think she has, uh, it's got to be, I'm guessing like over 200 credits. I'm going to pull it up right now. Uh, Actress, 252 credits. Dang. Yeah. Uh, I think probably most well-known, as you said, the mom in E.T., the mom in Cujo. Uh, She was in The Howling, uh, Critters. Um, you know, she sort of carved a niche for kind of like a horror movies that are one step above the bottom of the barrel. Um, right. But yeah, and wow. continuing to work till this day. And I actually met her um, uh, at a horror convention uh, really? a, a number of years back. Yeah, um, I'm going to have to dig around. I think I might have a photo with, with her somewhere. Oh, oh that's, that's amazing. But I guess before we get started even more, I do have to stop the show for an apology. So I apologize to Casey Semesco because <laughs> I spelled his name wrong on the episode for breaking in. And who wants to tell a story of how I know I spelled Casey Semesco wrong? <laughs> so last month, if you recall, we uh, had a, a, a great episode that included the lead actor from the movie uh, Dark... Deep Dark? Deep Deep Dark, Dark. yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 Deep Dark, I'm so sorry. I Uh, I, I just let you flounder because I couldn't remember either, so I'm sorry, Mark. Luckily, I guess I guessed right. Yeah, and Sean McGrath joined us, and, uh, and so he was sharing the experience of our podcast with his cousin at a New York deli, and uh, apparently the deli owner, the coffee shop owner, was an, uh, a regular beat actor uh, who did a bunch of things in Portland, including the movie Breaking In. And so 
he was overhearing the conversation talking about us and like and his first words out of his mouth are well let's see if they spelled my name correctly <laughs> pulled it up no they did not and he walked away <laughs> Now, I, so I did go. I did go and change it to the IMDb spelling, which is S I E M A S Z K O, and I, there is no way I would have just winged it on our episode right. description. So I must have gotten it from somewhere. So I'm uh, in my defense. I don't think I just plowed through the spell <laughs> spelling. I wonder if the movie got it wrong or the poster or something so, that could be, yeah, or it, maybe it it's wrong on IMDb. It definitely Who sounds, knows? Yeah. It, it definitely sounds like that's a regular occurrence for him. So. <laughs> yes. And as someone whose last name is Workhoven, I absolutely understand. So he also is, uh, uh, still doing a little bit of work, but Casey Semesco, for those who didn't know, so yeah, he was in Breaking Breaking In with Burt Reynolds, which is the movie we covered in Portland at the movies, but he was also in Stand By Me. He was also in the Back to the Future movies as he was one of Biff's gang with the 3D glasses. His name oh, yeah. is 3D in Back to the Future 1 and 2, and uh, 3 O'Clock High he was in, and Young Guns, and I remember him from, from Young Guns seeing his oh, name like awesome. next to a Emilio Estevez's name. I was like, who's that? Who's the other guy whose name I can't pronounce? And so now he just owns a sandwich shop in New York City. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> but yes, so apologies to Casey Samesco <laughs> if I am even pronouncing that correctly. So, But another thing I noticed uh, getting back to Shadow Play, which do we know this felt like a TV movie, but I don't think it was because there was no, like, okay. I think some brief nudity in it. It was a theatrical release, and funny enough, it did not get a video release. So the movie came out in theaters. Uh, I, I, I couldn't. It, it may have been a limited release or not a full wide theatrical release, uh, but that was '86, and then it did not come out on video until '91. Wow, I don't blame them. I, it's just like a contractual obligation that they had to put it out at some point because this movie just looked like a TV movie as well. It's it, it just it was not, but. I noticed that there one of the producers was credited as Will Vinton. Yes. So, which I could not make the connection between him and this movie, which seems I, to be the only non-claymation movie that he's been involved with. I did make the connection because um, I watched the special features, uh, the only special feature on the DVD, which I rented from Movie Madness plug, um, and <laughs> it was a 20-minute interview with D. Wallace Stone. And she talks about, um, uh, it, it was putting the, the clues together. She kept talking about the, the director, and then she said the director's husband, Will, was on set. And then he helped her because uh, there were days where she couldn't film because she was battling MS. And then tying all of those things together, it turns out she was married to, the director slash writer was married to Will Vinton. Wow. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, because it was a writer director. Uh, the woman I didn't ca I didn't yeah. write down her name, but and this was the only I think her only feature film uh, um, credit uh, as a director. That is fascinating. But have you just... have you ever heard or seen the movie called The Adventures of Mark Twain? I've I believe I've heard of it. <laughs> it's it's a claymation feature film from Will Vinton. Oh, okay. And she, I think, wrote it and, and had a bunch of different roles in that. But I, I had never really heard of it. And it looks really intriguing. It's about, like, uh, Mark Twain building a s spaceship that flies to the moon or something. 
Wow. All I remember is Will Vinton is responsible for one of the copyright strikes on my first YouTube channel. <laughs> He's not at fault. I was at fault for uploading the California Raisins VHS tape that I found at the bins. And but that's what I, the court I, order said Todd had to say. <laughs> All future profits from Dr. R.I.P. VHS have to be forwarded to. Uh, but I did see in the Wikipedia list that one of the uncredited producers is Roger Corman. What? Which, that has to be a mistake. The Roger Corman? I guess. It, yeah, it says Roger Corman and then uncredited. Huh. And so unless Will Vinton somehow also, which maybe did he do special effects stuff for Roger Corman at some point before Claymation or... I couldn't figure Bizarre. that one out. Well, does anyone want to uh, outline? Mark, I'm going to make hi. you do it. Can you give an overview of of this movie Shadow Play? Let's let's see if I can remember. So I watched it yesterday, and um, it it's like every minute has a half life of what <laughs> I recall from from that movie. So uh, there's a playwright. And her name is Lady Helen. Oh, help! No, okay. I, I'm making that up. <laughs> so, Martha? No. Uh, this playwright, play uh, e. D. Wallace Stone. Yeah. D. Wallace. Yeah, yeah. E.T.'s e. e. mom, and um, she is in New York, and she is being tasked with writing uh, her next play, and the publisher is waiting on her play. Um, she has some history with this family out in uh, in the Pacific Northwest in Orcas Islands area, and uh, she uh, gets a message, a letter, I believe, in imploring her to come and uh, spend some time with them. And we oh, learn that like her ex fiance uh, died seven years ago, and. This is their family, uh, the mom and son and Zelda, uh, which we'll I talk about. I could start an entire second <laughs> podcast just about Zelda. <laughs> well, we'll I'm, I'm glad that. that wasn't just me. <laughs> we'll talk about <laughs> Zelda later. Uh, so, and so mom, son, and Zelda live uh, in a beautiful home out on Orcas Island. And uh, she goes and visits, and she has these visions of her ex who apparently committed suicide and there's a lot of unspoken tension and weird emotions and and things that are pulling up for her and and all this all this stuff meanwhile she's busy writing a play and um and then we learn more information later about it's actually the brother who was falling from a uh, lighthouse <laughs> and her ex-fiance the brother uh, was um, was there with him they were you know drinking and joking and everything one person almost fell the other person did fall to his death and uh, and so he's apparently haunting the uh, ether with his uh, poetry that's infusing her <laughs> weird uh play attempt that has 
uh, waiting for Guffman Theater reenacting <laughs> part of it. And my third podcast is going to be only about the community theater <laughs> players. And uh, and uh, and that and that's I, I, did yeah. I cover all the things. Yeah, I think you did actually. Was it was it a successful play in the end? Do we ever find out? <clears throat> I mean, wouldn't it be great if there was just a a flash of like a marquee on New York on Broadway of like the only flash we get is the bananas black box theater presentation where everybody is oh, dressed thanks. in like black turtlenecks and like wild lipstick and like <laughs> performing it but she I guess is just seeing that in her head because yes. then it stops yes um yeah so, oh, it looked like <laughs> I wrote down in my notes that, that that final performance looked like sprockets. <laughs> it did. Yeah. Uh, touch my monkey. Um, so the uh, the the key like confession or or moment to, uh, was or or this this weird tension between the brother-in-law, the the brother of her fiance, and her is he's always loved her and. And, and so there was big sexual tension, and they did do the deed, and all this. Stuff. It was, it was, it was weird. And but he was possessed by the spirit of the brother when that happened. Right. Oh, she saw. God. She saw the brother when that was happening. Yeah. So D. Wallace uh, comes back from New York and goes to Orcas Islands to finish her play, and she's staying at the house of uh, her former fiance's family, which is the mom played by Cloris Leachman, uh, the brother played by the, the two brothers. So there's the brother and the fiance who died. The, the fiance died seven years earlier. And they are both like, if, uh, are so 1980s beefcake heads, like just giant square heads with giant features and giant like romance novel cover hair and cable knit sweaters and it was so aggressive that I like I had a hard time even watching them on screen for some reason and she would see the brother and in the in, mirror see her fiance and then so there's always this juxtaposition between the two of, did of she ever big... yeah so she would see her dead fiance in the reflection of like a mirror or in the reflection of a window did she ever see it when when it wasn't also the brother standing there i guess i'm putting together just now that every time she was seeing the reflection maybe she was seeing the brother but the reflection was the fiance hmm i feel like maybe the first time he wasn't there okay or or the time when she uncovered the mirror <clears throat> and went into like a full cinematic a f a fugue uh, state of, of of him running off in the distance or towards her or something. Yeah. So weird. the the setup is, and we get we learn the backstory uh, through a series of flashbacks, and it's kind of like how you picture like a rich family in a mansion having their rich parties and stuff like that. We get a lot of party scenes. Um, and it always shows uh, D. Wallace and the fiance and the brother always as a threesome. Like they're laying on each other in the park and they're running around. And like it is just this weird incestuous 
like threesome thing that is so bizarre. And there's one scene where the mother has to pry the brother off of the two, and she says something like, uh, you can't marry both of them now. Yes, so, I I mean, it almost sounds like the brother was also in love with his, the fiancé, who is his brother. Like, it wasn't just, like, he was only pining for Dee Wallace the whole time, and there was, like, a rivalry. It was like he was in love with them as a couple, and like, and so the the setup is like they're having the big party, uh, their engagement party, and they run up to the Ilwaco uh, lighthouse, which we also saw, I believe, in Fatal Exposure. The North might... Head lighthouse. We got to be clear. There's two North of them Head. there. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. So, which also was in Fatal Exposure, which is basically this movie is just another one of the Fatal Exposure, totally generic thing that we won't remember. <laughs> ever having seen by next week. It was um, a snooze fest. Yeah, so the, the uh, fiancé and the brother run out to the lighthouse, and which, you know, is something that they kind of have always done in the past, and they play a game where they straddle the railing on the outside of the, of the lighthouse up at the top and do a little thing, and the, um, the fiancé is like, here's to the best man, and the brother... What's the brother's name? J- What's Jeremy is- Jeremiah and John, maybe? John, uh, yeah. yeah John, John. Jeremy is the fiancé, and John is the, is the brother. And so Jeremy, the fiancé, says, you know, here's to you, best man, and John is like, no, you you're the best, best man. man. And he's like, no, I'm the groom, and other, John is like, you're the best man and the groom and like tries to jump off the lighthouse or whatever. And Jeremy, the fiance saves him and ends up falling himself. And so this entire past seven years, John, the brother has been keeping this secret saying that Jeremy committed suicide. And so that's kind of what is haunting D. Wallace as she's like going through this experience. I so. didn't even necessarily believe that was the twist that the movie was building to because it was like just so obvious the whole obvious. movie. I, I was like, okay, and and that's it. <laughs> there was no subversion of any tropes of any kind, which is kind of why I felt like this was also a very TV movie because it wasn't challenging in those ways where that kind of differentiate the the feel good aspect of just watching some stupid TV show versus like this is important enough to make out of a movie like there wasn't that oh this is what makes it a movie as opposed to like just something terrible so uh, I, I guess my biggest question then after watching it was just was it actually a supernatural element at play or was it just the mother kind of manipulating things so, oh. so yeah, I thought about the mother as well. So, because there's one time where the mother comes in and reads what the daughter is pl- is typing yep. in in the play, and then an hour or two goes by, and the daughter visits the the bedroom of the dead ex fiance, and there are typed words there of what she wrote. Yep. And and the implication is that beyond the grave, uh, the the or or either beyond the grave or before he passed away, uh, that he had come up with that uh, that that those uh, words. stanza yeah. those words, 
and um, it's very possible that the mom went straight up there, typed it on the typewriter, and left it for her. And there was even like was, two was messing with her. Yeah, and there were even like two clues. Like one, uh, they said that oh nobody goes in that room except for the mother, and she spends time in there just dusting. And then um, after that scene, when she reads the word, she comes running out screaming. And then we see the mother sneak into the room at that point. Yeah, I was wondering what that. There was two parts where she did this like weird sneaky thing down the hallway, and I didn't pick up on any of that. But I guess the the mother, who is played by Cloris Leachman, uh, her her kind of story is that she's also consulting the one armed man from Twin Peaks. Yes, <laughs> which Brian, you can speak to a bit more because I didn't watch Twin Peaks, but I was like, oh, because I I thought he had been in another Portland movie for some reason. Because um, I um, feel like we've had another uh, one-armed person in yeah, some of our Yeah, it movies. wasn't him, but it was another one-armed man who was in that movie <laughs> with the guy with the big beard. Uh, Grizzly Adams. Grizzly I was going to say Sam Adams, yeah. <laughs> Sam Adams. Explosions and Love and Dynamite? Love and Dynamite. Love and Dynamite, yeah. nice. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. How Can you imagine, like... Uh, showing up to the casting call when you're that guy and like seeing the other another guy like, one damn it. <laughs> you guys taking all my roles i was <laughs> shocked i i never really looked at uh this one our man's uh uh credits before and he has not been in very many things just like this in twin peaks yeah which is totally funny and this was before twin peaks obviously mm-hmm. a couple of years before um but yeah, the mom is consulting him. He's like a psychic medium, kind of seance type figure trying to find answers too, I guess. But I, I guess it makes... But it, it, the way Cloris Leachman was playing it didn't seem like she was in control of anything or like purposely... She seemed almost like, I don't understand anything. And like, you know what I mean? It wasn't like... I guess it was just badly done. the one person we have not talked about yet so we have the mom and the son the living son john and then we have d wallace who is the uh the fiance of the other dead son and a character named zelda (laughs) zelda who wants to take on Zelda? Because I how is can't. she related? Todd, how how is I, she related to I, anyone? I don't know. A mentally challenged neighbor <laughs> that sometimes serves them tea from an upside down wine <laughs> wine bottle she keeps in her back pocket. Because she did that at one point. <laughs> so yeah, so Zelda is a roommate. Like she lives there. Um, I think, do they call her a maid at any point? Well, she is seen doing housework, but not, she she had an apron on once, but she doesn't, there's not like a maid's outfit to to denotate that she is help, but she is seen serving a couple times. And and she's there like all hours of the day, including one time when she sneaks in in the morning after she had been out all night. What? Which, and, a secret from whom? Like, what? Why? Why would that be a secret? How, how Cloris old? Cloris Leachman was, was what, you know, jokingly about, joking about it. And like, she was not happy. No. She, so, 
Zelda gets burned in that scene. She like comes in all giddy from spending the night with her boyfriend, and then the first person she sees is uh, the the mother, and then she's like, "Oh, I'm sorry, excuse me, Mrs." Lee. And and then she's like, and then she mocks her like back to her. Totally. There was no eighties burn, no playfulness from Cloris Leach at all. She was legitimately so. I guess trying to establish who Zelda is, so. We think she does live in the house? Yes, clearly. Okay. Yeah. Do we think she is the daughter of no, Cloris Leachman? Like no, no, no. No, she always calls her Mrs. Trap or whatever her name is. She's uh, clearly the no. hired help. How yeah. old do we think Zelda is? <sighs> she's like, I feel like she's 24, maybe. <laughs> In, in this move, but but you have to, but they make references to the fact that she was still the maid seven years ago. Which, mm. which what kind of maid is not allowed to leave the premises? <laughs> like that doesn't make any sense unless she was like a child that Cloris Leachman was responsible for. So but you're she, right; she's like at least twenty five. Right. And the, well. At- the actress was also in Twin Peaks. No, the act. This was her only acting credit, and then she went on to be a casting director um, for Twin Peaks and a couple other things. Uh, weird. But oh, she, that's Todd, how she met the one-armed man. Todd, I, no, exactly. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's probably yeah. But Todd, I'm really sorry to disappoint. If you were st- planning to start the Zelda podcast and cover all of her movies, this is the only one. <laughs> Dang, Nabbit. She, I mean, not... But, 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 yeah, talk about her, uh, like, demeanor and... Yeah, so, (laughs) first of all, she has the world's worst haircut. Like, (laughs) it is that 80s, like, shag bob. Like, it's like... It's like sometimes in those old movies where both her and Cloris Leachman have that haircut where it's like if you want to show someone that's slightly mentally disabled somehow, they have that terrible, like, I got a pair of scissors at home look. So she has this weird, shaggy haircut. She is constantly moving. Like, the first scene where she's helping D. Wallace, like, she's bringing up her bags and she's, like, jittering and, like, all... I'm like, is this woman a meth addict? Is that is, she, is this, like, her halfway house to sobriety somehow? She totally seems like she's on drugs. It And, and even I watched it a second time on 1.5 speed. Yeah. And to see her scenes, because she is just gyrating and, like, grabbing at things and... Uh, so I couldn't feel. So she was not meant to be, like mentally. I, I don't think slow. so. No. no, because she sometimes it seemed like she was acting like that, and that's also, I was like, what is her age then? She's either slow or thirteen. <laughs> like I couldn't because there's that one scene. Everybody's hanging out in in the living room or whatever, and it's like the first thing in the morning, and Zelda t- comes in wearing. Like this, one of those weird '80s like sweaters, but it's like the the bottom of the sweater doesn't go down to the waist; it's like just above the waistline, and so it's like this weird balloony knit sweater that she has like this haphazard apron over, and she walks in holding like a a, a tea tray, a serving tray, and is like, "Who wants tea?" And she walks over to mom and John, the other son, who are sitting down at a table with a tea set on it. 
And the mom says, I want tea. And so Zelda, out of her back pocket, or either a holster on her belt, maybe, takes out an upside down, like, wine bottle shaped thing and hands that to Cloris Leachman. Then the son picks up the tea set and, like, pours water out. And then Cloris Leachman asks uh, Dee Wallace, how do you like your tea? And Dee Wallace says, with, with soda. soda. Yes. And then the brother says, um, uh, uh, oh, I remember that. And then the scene ends. It's like, that's what we got. It was so weird. I could not figure out what was being handed to Cloris Leachman in that bottle. Because it wasn't, it was tea colored i guess yeah yeah was that it, no it looked more like a rose wine <laughs> and it, it, it was clearly this movie's uh, uh flower shop scene from the room like <laughs> it just happens so fast and then you're you're like what just happened i will well, i will try to excerpt that and post just that part maybe the the family uses the term tea to talk about rum or something like that, and maybe, oh, you want maybe your tea, tea is supposed to be booze because tea. you want your booze with soda. You want your here's your tea, and it's actually wine. Oh, but then they have a tea set that they're pouring water. On. Anyway, the, the 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 scene was so baffling, and then so Zelda's there for a little bit, and then she's like, I, she is so sporadic in her scenes, and like what. It was it was it was so weird. Well, she never acted again. <laughs> Unfortunately, so I guess I guess the market spoke. Uh, okay, while we are talking about uh, things that these other actors have been in, um, there is another Portland connection uh, with D. Wallace that I want to bring up. Okay. Um, so I was reading through. I wanted to just at least skim through everything she'd been in, and I was like, oh, cool, she was on Grimm. And there was even like a link to an article talking about Dee Wallace uh, returning to Portland for Grimm. Uh, but then she was in Extraordinary Measures. Oh, <laughs> wow. I wonder if we, did we talk about her in our episode? Probably not. No, and I mean, I, I certainly don't remember her in the Did movie. she play like a doctor or something like that? Who was she? I think it just said a character's name like Sandy or something like that. So wow. I mean, your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> From everything we remember about Extraordinary Measures. <laughs> That's pretty funny. There are a lot of these people who show up several times to make these, these movies here. Um, who wants to talk about the community group, the theater group, how they're involved and what they are? I, I think that's your topic. Like, <laughs> okay. Right? So D. Wallace... You mean Todd's podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so D. Wallace comes to Orcas Islands for the summer or whatever to write her play. And she wants to... She's talking to Cloris Leachman being like, oh, it would be helpful, you know, to hear this. You know, back in New York, we used to have readings of it. So I was able to hear it instead of just see it and... Cloris Leachman gets all excited about her, her community theater group. And so um, it's this random group of people. One of them named Sarah, who is dressed like Madonna, like from 1984, like with the 
curly hair up and the whatever and spangly everything. And then there's like this old man and old woman. And then like a dock, uh, this lady who apparently works in the docks in New York. Cause she's like dressed like a truck driver and has a, has a, a very heavy Brit- accent from the East coast. And they all um, take turns kind of reading out loud uh the play that D Wallace is, is, is working on. And it is like watching the waiting for Guffman players, like help this woman write her play, which she describes as, um, five voices from one character. Yes. Yes. And the other, so I couldn't quite figure out because what she is writing, what we see her writing is terrible. Like it is awful. And at one point, I feel like she even comments on that, saying, like, I'm not, I don't have any idea what I'm doing. Like, this doesn't, yeah, this is bad. This isn't, this isn't my normal stuff. Like, it's, it's just being channeled through her, like, Ramtha. And <laughs> <laughs> That's a deep cut. Back to, uh, what the bleep. <laughs> and, and so she's she's channeling the these it just it's it's like bad poetry you know it's not there's no narrative plot or you know like there's it's not a play right with any semblance of a structure and i think that's i think that's why at the at the end when she's uh she finished her play and she's having them read it for the last time that's when she envisions them all in those black box theater with like, it looked like they had wandered off the set of cabaret, like where everyone's dressed in black, but has like wild makeup on their face. And so we get a little scene of that. And then D Wallace basically does like a slow clap because like they finish reading it and they're like, there's no reaction. And they're like, we can do it different. And D Wallace is just like, brilliant or you know I I could I could maybe defend what the intent was there I'm guessing that it was the type of thing where she had to get these words out and and just these words themselves were helping her uh, get through the tragedy of of losing her fiance and just like to hear them come from someone else was all she needed to hear sure you know but for the rest of us it just looked like you know, shit on screen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so at one point, the the girl that's dressed like Madonna, they they, D. Wallace hands out the scripts for the first time, and this woman who was, I mean, also twenty five or thirty years old, like she wasn't a teenager, but she like literally could not read words off a page. She's like, <laughs> <laughs> and then her excuse, which I don't Do you remember, remember when she. Uh-uh. Oh, she she looks up and she's stumbling over the words and she looks up and she's like, I'm a dancer. <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I was like, self-slam? <laughs> what is happening? And then, so like they show the community theater group like at the beginning and then there's like a bunch of other scenes with the lighthouse and people falling off and then they kind of go back to the community group and all of a sudden there's like this beefcake European guy who tries to pick up on D Wallace and like that was strange because he wasn't there before. No, he's one of the readers. 
I didn't see him in the first part. Yeah, he, he was. Oh. The, he was one in the background. Okay, because then at the very end when Dee Wallace is like saying her goodbye, that hero trash guy is like all leaned up against the girl next to him. And I'm like, just, just, just stop. Yeah. You're gross. I did write down that the the two men, so the the fiance and the brother uh, Jeremy and John, with their '80s beefcake look, they just looked like cocaine to me. <laughs> like when you think of the '80s cocaine scene, you just yes. think of those Fabio knockoff looking guys. Um, the music in this was also just <laughs> terrible. My favorite thing regarding the music was the fact that uh, Jeremy had the score to the movie uh, just queued up on his record player since he died. <laughs> so <laughs> D. Wallace was able to walk into his room and drop the needle and suddenly the score of the movie is playing. <laughs> yeah, it was just really bad synthy, And that's another thing too, like in order to go from a TV movie to a movie scale, you usually get, you know, that bumps up the music to at least an or you know an orchestra or something. But this was just this bad, synthy, eighties lifetime movie nonsense. It was awful. Oh um, my goodness! I, I was looking at the um, so the, this is a rare case of the the composer is also like a Portland composer. Because, Uh-oh, am I, I'm uh, slagging someone else off now that just guarantees they're going to be listening to this. I'm sorry. So I'll blame he, the director. He did not only the score to The Devil's Keep, but also Unhinged. <gasps> Those were both so good. Uh, yes, and if I remember correctly, Unhinged, I think the guy that did the music for that was like from PSU. Wow, because yeah, both of those had that great early 80s synth. Mm-hmm. This was yeah. maybe just, maybe I'll blame the late 80s synth genre. On I don't think it matched thing. his style. That's true. Because, yeah, it was it very... Was schmaltzy, but like schmaltzy forced through, you know, that gross synth. Yeah, that's totally right. So I have a question about maybe lighthouses in general, but that one specifically, I guess. <laughs> can anyone can, can anyone at, just walk up and, and touch the light bulb? All the time, just be at the top all of lighthouses? Yes. Because <laughs> they are there and, all the time. And then there's like, another time where like another group of tourists is just like walking up. And I was like, well, maybe it's like how that the the – the other thing in Astoria, the tower, the Astoria Tower, right. you can go up. So I was like, maybe the lighthouses are like that too, but it's that seems unlikely. Open to the public. Yeah. But yeah, there's a lot of up on top of that lighthouse scene. Um, um, one so, of the, go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> no, but that, speaking of the English beefcake guy that, that, show, that hits on D. Wallace from the theater group, he's trying to get D. Wallace to go out with him, and he says, We're both free, white, and 21. Yeah, and I'm did, like, did hey, he really, calm down, guy. Did he really say white? I think so. Oh, that's what I was. I, I was and hoping I f- that's not what he said. I feel like that used to be yeah. an expression, and probably still is in certain areas of this country. <laughs> right. Exactly. But yeah, oh, and, which weird. is even weirder because he's British. So like, for that to be an expression over there too seems a little strange. So <laughs> maybe he's a royal. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Speaking of incestuous thruples, maybe he is. That's why he had such a crush on his his close family. 
So, so what do you think the title is referring to? Oh, I wrote that. Why is this called Shadow Play? Yeah. And the closest I could think of is because obviously she's a playwright. But yeah. that's it. Well, let but me. Did, wouldn't did, that be? Did she use the word shadow play once? I don't. When she maybe. went to lay down on the bed. Oh, I don't know. Because the most of this part, so she's yeah, she's seeing her her dead fiance and like you know in the mirror and in the reflection of doors and windows and keeps freaking out through the movie. So it's always in reflections. It's never in a shadow. Like she doesn't see mysterious shadows and wonder what they are. It's all reflections. So right. I'm not sure what shadow play unless is that maybe what you call that type of black box theater where it's like not a style of theater. It's called a shadow play. No. Anyway, no. Um, so let me read you what uh, Wikipedia has to say on the subject. Okay. Ac- according to Wikipedia, the shadow play within the story itself is literally a timing of each beat after another on the spinning and the beacon of the light of the lantern room. What? Okay, everyone, everyone stop. (laughs) A, does Shadow Play have its own Wikipedia entry? It does. I was surprised about that. Yes. Okay, okay. So, what? Yeah, let me read that sentence again. You stop me when stop me when you get confused. The okay. shadow play within the story itself is so, literally So are are they saying the shadow play as if shadow play is something we all should know and this is what it is and this or is That's, there quotes around it? There's it's not quote but it's uh italicized. Okay. The shadow play within the story itself is literally a timing of each beat after another on the spinning and the beacon of the light of the lantern room. <laughs> so, someone needs to step away from the prepositions. I mean, honestly, it's like they had a they had a wheelbarrow full of ofs in that last sentence. It's almost like D. Them. Wallace wrote that. <laughs> so it's making it sound like that sounds like a pretentious way of saying that the beats of this story revolve continuously like the lighthouse uh, can you does. insert that clip of George Lucas saying it's like poetry <laughs> it's like poetry it rhymes that doesn't mean anything no. wow <laughs> I love that that's like the first sentence of the Wikipedia article so okay well unless shadow play is still like a, just a, a theater term that I'm not familiar with that is insane it's insane there's a Wikipedia article for this movie <laughs> Is there any other treasure? Did you learn anything else uh, in the special features? No, it was, um, it, it started off, it was 20 minutes with Dee Wallace talking in front of a camera, and she started off spending about the first 10 minutes talking about shadow play, and the first eight minutes of that were all about the sex scene. Um, and then after that, they just start asking her about like her most obscure roles from the past, and she like laughs and is like, oh, you want to hear about that? Um, I w- it would be so amazing to meet D. Wallace and then talk to her about this movie to see if she remembers it. It, it would be like asking uh, Jim Belushi to sign Homer and Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Not that anyone has ever done that. <laughs> I just saw Jim Belushi. Have you ever seen the movie Abraxas with Jesse yeah. Ventura? Oh, no. 
No. It's surprisingly, they just did it for How Did This Get Made, so I just watched it, and Jim Belushi shows up for, like, one scene. It's not a comedy, but, like, he... His whole scene is this wacky comedy scene or whatever, and it turns out he is the wife, or he is <laughs> Jim Belushi was the husband of like the lead actress. So it's very much just like how Will Vinton <laughs> is the producer of this. But um, um, what else did I? So I kind of want to dig a little bit back into because it did not occur to me that the the dead fiance was supernaturally so there's the two things the dead brother was supernaturally trying to tell d wallace it wasn't a suicide you know it was this mm-hmm. other mistake mm-hmm. and or cloris leachman trying to manifest i don't know spirits to but then what would be what would be cloris leachman's goal in doing that because she did act mysterious, and I didn't pick up on that. But what would her goal be? I, I, I didn't, and that's where I got confused too. Okay, I don't know to to get her forty year old son out of the house, maybe. <laughs> like, like go go marry her. Like maybe she's available. Maybe because D- because Zelda is already taken by whatever the the thirty year old the thirty year old neighbor guy who rides a bike. To, to the farm they're at or whatever um uh so uh, basic if yeah. it was if it was the dead fiance uh which i i think the movie is trying to tell us that the dead fiance was both trying to yeah. like have her let this go the truth will set you free basically right. to d wallace which the brother, the dead fiance, then has just been doing nothing but cucking his brother for like years and years, and now from beyond, beyond the, the grave. grave. <laughs> oh, that's a really interesting way to because the at brother it. at one point, yeah, the brother John, who is still alive and trying to help D. Wallace through this, and like obviously does not see the apparitions of the brother, is very concerned that D. Wallace is like going because from his point of view she is going insane and going crazy and having this mental breakdown and so he's trying to help but i do feel like he's trying to to slide in there a little bit and so the the night that d wallace freaks out in the mirror and punches the mirror and no wait that's a different night there's some d wallace is doing something sees the reflection of her fiance in the mirror but it's really john the brother that comes into the room D. Wallace still only sees the dead fiance. They end up having sex, and the next morning, the brother comes in in another cable knit sweater with some tea or whatever, and is like, "So let's talk about last night." And I love you and all that. And D. D. Wallace freaks out, and she's like, "That wasn't you. That was Jeremy, the fiance." And I know I've had sex with him thousands of times, or whatever she said. I know what I was doing, or and so that means it's become a body horror of haunting possession possession but then that never happens again yeah um agreed yeah it's weird there was one review i read online that mentioned something about like the legions of fans who discovered this movie uh in varying sections in the video store under thriller horror romance like no one knew where how to classify it as a it. plot 
<laughs> should have been made into a movie. <laughs> accidentally. A- accidentally released. <laughs> uh, yeah, what well, this I mean this does not have a genre. I mean it's certainly not horror or is it? I what mean is this movie? it's kind of like those VC Andrews books with the incest and everything. This is very this is V.C. Andrews. It's kind of a not not one thing, but not enough of anything else to be that thing. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's a good Paul. Um, all right. The, I, we haven't talked really on locations yet. Yeah. Um. So I was fo- I was glamored once again by one of our movies, thinking because uh, IMDb did, does list. Um, um, so this what it does seem to be filmed at Orcas Island because there was a there was a yes. couple um, shots of the ferries and stuff like that which are really cool to see, um, and the the lighthouse in, by in Astoria, um, and some of it like where she lived, Mark. I think it's where we used to work, but a block down on Broadway, because across the street through a window you can see something. This is Portland Supply Company, right? Which right, right. Doesn't exist, which, which right became there. Cisco. Right, and um, I but, think you can also through her bedroom window see the hung far low sign. Yeah, yeah. so it was yeah. uh, so different Chinatown, places around yeah. around yeah. there. Um, but I thought it was also listed on IMDb as New York, but <laughs> apparently I did not recognize Upper <laughs> Broadway. <laughs> Wrong side of the tracks, buddy. <laughs> so where else uh, did you guys catch any? Catch anything else? Yeah, I mean, there was Broadway standing in for New York. You could see the Schnitz. Uh, really quick blink and you miss it, though. Yeah. Um, and I think the airport was uh, vintage 86 PDX. Oh, I don't remember the airport being in this. Uh, when she leaves from New York to go to the Northwest. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I wonder why this movie was... Well, I guess if Will Vinton and his wife were the ones making it, then it makes sense that it was why it was filmed around here. Yeah. But I think so, that's pretty much it as far as locations. Um, I, I'm, I am curious about the house. Uh, that's usually in Todd's yeah. wheelhouse is finding the actual address of these for her, mansions. Uh, no, no, well, no. Oh, of that mansion. Oh, yeah, I guess... I, I, so I, I was wondering if that was on Orcas Island or if, if that was in Portland. I felt like it was on Orcas Island because I else they wouldn't have made such an effort to like film the ferries and like the actual dock of Orcas Island, but yeah. I, I could be wrong. Um, but yeah, I'll check into that. I did try to look up her apartment and kind of got down to, I think it's where it was like Tiger's Adult Cinema for a while when we worked down there, Mark, totally, whatever totally. that place was. <clears throat> when it comes, there was... Good. Like a a long medley, uh, like uh, a montage of her on the trek from New York to Orcas Island, with a lot of time spent on the ferry. They they definitely paid for the ferry and needed to get all of their money's worth. And yeah, there's a beautiful shot with Mount Rainier in the background, and then yeah. she throws she crumples up all her cigarettes and throws them into the ocean. <laughs> Just like he did. I was like, oh, I was totally, I was like, remember the 80s when we just (laughs) threw trash wherever we were standing and like everyone was just cool with it? (laughs) What a time to be alive. Uh, Well, I took the, I think the fewest notes out of any movie that we've done, I barely got two pages out of this. Yeah, it was sparse. Is there, 
anything anything that we missed we think let us know in the comments below and smash <laughs> that like button <laughs> uh, yeah I think I think that's it I wrote down giggling fit for some reason at the very end and I can't remember now why does it end with was that you or was that the movie <laughs> 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 it was just me. Perhaps somebody was dictating you. <laughs> From beyond the grave. <laughs> Jeremy was there in my in the reflection. <clears throat> all right. Well, yeah, that's about all we can say for shadow play. So oh, wait. Have... One, one more thing. I just got to bring it up. Yeah. The, the, the line that was in the typewriter about, like, I can still taste you in my mouth and I will be grazing till morning. Was that not the most disgusting imagery? <laughs> I thought about it. Every time she wrote something, I'm like, this is just terrible what Awful. she's writing. But yeah, I taste of you on my lips and I will feast upon it till morn. Or just the word like, graze, like a cow. Oh, graze, that's right. I will chew you like a cud <laughs> till the morning. <laughs> I will keep you in my third stomach <laughs> until I regurgitate you in the morning, having depleted you of your nutrients. <laughs> uh, so did you did you see the taglines to this on IMDb? Oh, go no. for it. No. Frightened by the future, haunted by the past, the two worlds of Morgan Hannah are about to shatter. <laughs> Who is Morgan Hanna? Oh, she must be D. Wallace. D. Wallace. Her, is, her world is about to shatter. Is that what it says? Yes. Okay. Wow, that's better than this movie. I'll give it that. So, <laughs> congratulations. Okay, and it looked like the the poster was kind of cool too. Yeah, the poster was kind of cool, but I think the the, the painting of uh, D. Wallace looks more like Marley Matlin to me. <laughs> it was left. It was left over from Hear No Evil. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for joining me to discuss this terrible, terrible movie. Uh, Unipiper, do you have anything coming up now that things are slowly opening up? Um, yes, uh, Weird Portland is uh, teaming up with the uh, Portlandia Mermaids, and we are putting on the uh, Portlandia Mermaid Festival on July 31st, uh, coming to a uh, downtown waterfront near you. Wow, well that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, Mark, is there, <laughs> as you're slowly taking your life out of boxes still, as you're immobile, is there anything going on with you? I, I have not unpacked a box yet. Uh, yeah, no, I'm just waiting for bone cells to grow, and uh, uh, you and I have uh, the Mark and Todd cast uh, when we're not doing this, and uh, we talk about Portland and science topics and um, what we should do uh, what we should do this month and I'm, I'm requesting this of you as a topic um, we should do a, uh, a show on Alan touring uh, for oh, cool. for Pride Month because I don't know really oh, yeah. all that much about him so yes great, stay tuned yeah, we might we might do that sometime <laughs> Todd it is not uh, uh, Mark's responsibility as the gay man to teach you about this, <laughs> I know uh, <laughs> well I we're in such a confusing time I was like oh I should do that and I'm like Am I allowed to do that? Am I am I overstepping my cis white male boundaries by taking this away from the voice of a person who should be telling their story? So we'll discuss that next week on the Mark and Todd cast. So 
vert, what's it called? Not virtue shaming, but virtue signaling, signaling. Si- virtue signaling. Yeah, yes, maybe, or maybe cultural appropriation, depending on yeah. which angle we're taking. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, yeah, join us for that. Themarkandtodcast.com. Um, thank you guys for listening. Thank you, patrons, for your uh, dedicated uh, subscriptions to us as we navigated this uh, last couple weeks. And uh, we will see you guys next time. I will uh, play you out with whatever is in the closing credits of Shadow Play. The dream is done, and so am I, except as reflections in a lover's eye. To you, the future, take the sky, the sun, the stars, and fly, and fly.